Can you? Good morning, family. Good to see you guys. You guys out there? <laughs> hey, last week we started a series called Honorable Exiles, and we, throughout this series, what we're doing is we are asking God to teach us as Christians, as a church, how to live together as honorable exiles in society for His glory. That's kind of the controlling question of this whole series. So if you would, grab your Bibles, open them up to 1 Peter. That's in the back of your Bible. 1 Peter chapter 1. And uh, another one of our elders, Dale, he's going to have our scripture reading for us this morning. Please give your attention to the reading of God's Word. 1 Peter 3, or 1 Peter 1, 3 through 12. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes through it, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with the joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the suffering of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you, in things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things in which the angels long to look. This is God's word. Amen. Thank you, Dale. Let's pray, family. God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the three-in-one God, we love you. We worship you. God, we pray that you would meet us here now in your word. That you would speak to us. You would change our heart. You would change our loves. You would change what we are focusing on. Help us cast our eyes to you. We love you. Thank you for all that you're about to do in our life and in our church. We give you glory. We give you praise. We give you honor in advance. In the great name of Jesus, amen. Amen. 
when we go through a trial for being a Christian, it is easy for us to focus on the losses that we're experiencing to the exclusion of all else. There's just something about going through a trial. There's just something about going through suffering that makes our vision very nearsighted. Like very, like, right here. I'll give you a, a, a lighthearted illustration. It, it's not a great illustration, but I didn't have a good one, so I'm going to use a bad one, okay? That's all I had this week. Just a, just a lighthearted illustration. Ch- I don't know if you noticed this or not. Children value candy the way that adults value cash money, right? They love candy. They love it. I mean, like, for the five full-size candy bars, I'm not talking like the little fun size, like five full-size candy bars, that's like $500 to a child. That's, that's huge. Children count their candy. They save their candy. They hide their candy, guard their candy the way that grown-ups do their cash. Now, I want you to imagine this. Imagine children who have just made this huge haul of candy on Halloween night. And so they gather around every night after dinner, and they eat all their dinner. They get to dip into their big stash, and they get to enjoy a piece of their candy, their favorite piece, whatever that is. And they get to enjoy that piece of candy after they finish their dinner the smile on their face. But one night, one of the parents gets out an old tub of ice cream and takes the last scoop of ice cream while they're eating their piece of candy after dinner. And the children see this, and they protest from behind their huge bucket of candy. Oh, wait, no, 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 no. Don't eat all the ice cream. Oh, no. We love ice cream. We were saving that, but now we've lost the ice cream. We've missed out on having ice cream. They're so heartbroken about losing out on the ice cream that it's blinded them to this huge payload of candy that they are sitting on. They literally have strings of caramel hanging off their lips and a war chest of candy in the cabinet, but they're heartbroken over what they lost out on. Uh, Admittedly, this is an oversimplification, I know, but it's to illustrate the point. When we go through a trial particularly for identifying as Christians, this is what tends to happen to us, amen? We tend to focus on what we're losing. We focus on privileges being taken from us. We focus on losing honor in the media and how they speak about Christians or maybe honor among our friends at school or friends at work. And this focus on what we're losing can lead to feelings of hopelessness. It can lead to mentality in the church of, you know what, all is lost. All is lost. The sky is falling. And while the losses are real, to be sure, what we need to thrive as Christians is a wider perspective on life and a wider perspective on history. We need to get a historical perspective. Peter wants us to focus on what we have and What is coming for us? Yes, yes, we have trials as Christians. And yes and amen, we have real heartaches as Christians. But we also have a living hope as Christians. That's what I want to talk with you about today. Christians can rejoice because we have a hope that outshines the heartaches. Christians can rejoice because we have a hope that outshines our heartaches. 
Now, in the Bible, hope doesn't mean what modern, contemporary people mean when they use that word hope, all right? Like, when we say the word hope, we're expressing a wish, right? Or, or a dream, something that we desire. It's uncertain. It may or may not come true. That's what we mean when we use the word hope today. But in the Bible, hope is a posture. It's not a wish. Biblically, to hope is to live expecting something that is not yet seen, but it is certain. To hope means that it is not yet experienced, but it is guaranteed. Brothers and sisters, we have a hope that outshines our heartaches. I want you to hear that today. So let's talk about what this hope is, and we'll talk about how can we be certain that it is our hope, that it is for us. Well, first of all, Christians have an inheritance that is unassailable. Christians have an inheritance that is unassailable. Let's go to the scriptures here, verse 3 through 5. Peter says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. What a way to start a letter. And then he says, According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Now in the original Greek, verses 3 through 12 is one sentence. Did you know that? It's all one sentence. I had to break it up today to make sense of this stuff. It's clause after clause. I mean, he's just getting ramped up as he is writing this, the more he writes. It's really a beautiful thing. Peter wants to refocus the eyes of our heart. He wants you and me to take our eyes off what we are presently losing and put our eyes on what we are gaining when Christ returns for his elect. That's what that phrase means, by the way, when he says, ready to be revealed in the last, t- last times. That's, re- that's referring to the return of Christ for his people. When Christ returns to earth, a lot is going to go on, and a lot all at the same time. But one of the wonderful things that is going to happen for the Christians is that we will get to fully experience and enjoy the inheritance that Christ has made for us. And that is good news. And here's our inheritance. You ready? You don't look ready. Are you ready? Okay, I'm talking to you, you know. Here's our inheritance, all right? We get to live with Christ in his kingdom forever. That's it. We get to live with Christ That's our reward, that's our inheritance, that's what we are looking forward to. Now you might be thinking, that's my great inheritance, living with Christ forever? What's so great about that? Now it's almost like Peter anticipated that question, because this is how he answers it. This inheritance is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, and totally secured. It's like out of the reach of anything that might destroy it. That's what the kept in heaven part is. If you have Christ as your treasure, you get the house, the land, the food, the clothes, all that stuff that you need to live, that's thrown in. Isn't that great? 
If you only have the house or land or physical things as your treasure, but you don't have Christ, then you get none of that because those are all perishable things. Even if God were to give it to you, they're all perishable. In fact, Peter is actually repeating what Jesus taught in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 through 21. Jesus says, Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What do you really treasure? Crooks can break into your home. Crooks can steal your money out of your bank account, identity theft, anyone? Crooks can pervert the law and steal the property right out from under your feet you're living on right now. Move you off of it. Then you die, then you have nothing, if that's your treasure, if that's what you're hoping for. But if Christ is the treasure of your heart, if Christ really is the king of your life, then you get his kingdom thrown in as if it's a bonus. That's how great Jesus Christ is. That's how wonderful Jesus is. And nothing can evict you from him, and nothing can take him away from you. I said nothing can take him away from you, and nothing can take you away from him. Not all the suffering in the world. Not all the pain in the world. Our inheritance is imperishable. It is an imperishable inheritance. Peter says it's also undefiled. Your inheritance will never become dirty. It'll never become morally stained or impure because nothing can mix with it. Our inheritance with Christ is pure pleasure and guilt-free. You don't have to settle for guilty pleasures anymore. It's pure pleasure pleasure that's guilt-free. It is undefiled. Nothing will come and defile it and make you feel bad about that. It is an unfading inheritance that we have as believers. Even after you live with God for 700 million years, the amazement will not even begin to wear off. It will never wear off. Now let that blow your mind for a minute. It's amazing every day, all day. It's a new adventure all the time with the Lord. Not one time will you or I think, you know what, I wonder if I missed out on something awesome in society because I followed and obeyed Jesus all those years. Nope, you're not going to have that thought. This inheritance is unfading. Isn't that great? Whatever we lose now for knowing Christ is nothing compared to what we gain through knowing Christ. We may have a family that writes us out of their will and writes us out of their inheritance because we have left the family faith, we've left the family church for Christ. Praise God, Peter says, that Christ has not written us out of his inheritance. It's an unassailable inheritance. 
We may lose a promotion at work because we're not willing to lie on the paperwork. We're not willing to bend some rules of ethics at work. Praise God that we have an inheritance that we can never lose because no one can take it from us because no one gave it to us. And they didn't give it to us. They can't take it away from us. We may get evicted from our place of worship because it bothers the neighbors. Well, praise God, we will never be evicted from his kingdom. And that kingdom is here, and it is coming. That is a hope that outshines our heartaches, brothers and sisters. You can rejoice. You can smile. This is good news. We have a living hope that says a Christian's trial is purposeful. A Christian's trial is purposeful. Let's go to the text, verse 6 through 7. Peter says, In this you rejoice, though now... For a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. So that, here's the purpose clause, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it's tested by fire, may be found to result, here's the result of that purpose, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. In, in, in trying to refocus our attention on our inheritance, Peter is not being heartless. He's not being a cold-blooded pastor. He's actually being a really good pastor to these people and to us. Peter's not denying that Christians uh, he's not denying that Christians are going through various types and species of trials. He's not denying that. He's not saying that's not really a trial to them. This is what I love about Christianity. Christianity is not about ignoring loss or just pretending that suffering doesn't really exist. Now, there's some philosophies in religion that that's, that's what they teach. That's not what Christianity is about. True Christianity strikes this beautiful balance, guys, of simultaneously acknowledging the reality of trials and sufferings that we're going through, and at the same time proclaiming that that suffering has been transformed by what God has done for us through Jesus Christ. And we hold those things together without contradiction at the same time. Because God has caused us to be born again into a living hope, our trials have been transformed. I didn't say erased, did I? We got this, is this recording? I didn't say they were erased. I didn't say what God did for us through Jesus Christ means that those are ignored now. I said they've been transformed. They've been changed. They've taken a different shape for us as believers now. See, before we knew the living God and before we had all his wonderful promises, trials and losses could only be seen as random. They could only be seen as interruptions to our happiness that were utterly meaningless. They were just getting in our way and being as happy as we could, having a good, happy life. You see, if you have an atheistic or an agnostic worldview, that's the only category you have for suffering and loss. But when God caused us to be born again, our trials became meaningful. Not easy, not pleasant, they became meaningful. Our trials now have purpose to them. Isn't that great news? 
they are actually used by God to produce something glorious in our life and for our life. Peter says, trials and losses are purifying our faith in God. Kind of like fire purifies a lump of gold. Fire shows what is really valuable gold and what is worthless dross. Somebody, you know, somebody thinks, look, I've got this lump of gold. Well, how do you know you got a lump of gold? There's fool's gold, right? How do you know? Fire proves, or you could say fire shows. It reveals whether what they have is actually gold or not. That's the purpose of fire. Trials do the same things for uh, something that is far more valuable and lasting than gold. Our faith in God. If you, I'll just, just follow this thought with me. If you are saved only by faith in Jesus Christ, if you are assured an inheritance only by faith in Jesus Christ, then wouldn't you want to know if you had genuine faith or not before you saw him again? Yeah, I'm going to tell you the answer. The answer is yes. You would want to know if what you have is genuine faith or not before you saw him again. We can only know that our faith is genuine, look at me, if it is tested. There's not another way that you can know. All right? When we catch grief for being a believer and we still hold on to God, when our body is struck with a debilitating disease and we still hold on to God, it reveals that our faith is, in fact, genuine, that it is actually worth something to us right now, not just someday. Are you hearing me? Only tested faith is genuine faith worth more than gold. Let me say that again. Only tested faith is genuine faith. Easy faith. Untested faith is worthless to you in this life. It's worthless to you in this life because you have no idea if your faith is actually pointed at Jesus Christ or the things of the world. It may be, but you have no way of knowing that, to be assured of that. Are you tracking with me? Peter says something amazing here. This is one of the purposes of trials that we go through. It doesn't necessarily mean, when we go through a trial, it doesn't necessarily mean that we've done something wrong and God's disciplining us. That, that's one way God uses trial and suffering, yes. But it doesn't, necessarily, it doesn't necessarily mean that there is a lesson we need to learn in this trial, although it may mean that. God just may be using this trial to reveal to our eyes that we actually trust him, like we think we do. <laughs> Isn't that great? You actually do believe that his love is better than life. You actually are his child, like you think you are. You are. Peter says this kind of genuine faith will result in something. Glory, praise, and honor from God to you in the end. I want you to get this, brothers and sisters. God will see you trusting him to the end and publicly say in front of everyone else these words. 
well done, my good and faithful servant. Come on, enter into your, the joy of your master. So it doesn't matter who's disrespecting you now and dishonoring you now. He's going to honor you and speak praise over you. In this we rejoice. Our trials are not meaningless, but instead they're used by God to fortify and strengthen our faith in him. We have a hope that tells us that Christians live in a time of fulfillment. Christians live in a time of fulfillment. One of the things that the Christians in Asia Minor were experiencing was the loss of privileged status in society. So in the beginning of Christianity, Rome saw Christianity as just this offshoot or sect of Judaism. And so they tolerated Christians, kind of like they did the Jews. So they tolerated Christians in the beginning. They tolerated our worship gatherings. They tolerated kind of some of our ethical behaviors that were very different than the nation of Rome. But as the gospel spread and as the church became more ethnically diverse, Christians lost that little umbrella of protection that they were kind of under and enjoying. And the first thing to go was their unchallenged status in society. That was the first thing to go. People in society were looking around and going, hey, wait a minute, what's going on here? Why, why do you guys get exemptions from Roman law? Why do you get that and we don't get it? Why do you people get extra protections from Roman government? Why should you benefit from that? Why should you people, why should we just automatically respect your religion? Your religion's the new religion on the block around here. So why should we just automatically respect it? You're going to have to prove that to us in society. You see, guys, the loss of privilege is not the same thing as persecution. Those are different categories, okay? But there is overlap sometimes. So we need to get our categories right and then see where they, when and where they overlap, okay? And that is what I think we're experiencing in American society right now. Overall, generally speaking, a loss of respect, a loss of privileged status that is combined with these spasmodic flare-ups from time to time of social persecution. Basically, society says this to us. We don't really like you. We don't respect what you value, and we're going to let you know about it from time to time. Most of the time we'll tolerate it, but from time to time we're just going to let you know. We don't really like that. Why? So when Christianity loses its privilege of being the norm in society, it stings, does it not? It kind of stings us. When people feel comfortable challenging you, it makes life harder. It makes it harder to go to work. And they make fun of you. They don't necessarily automatically respect you. And this, this can make us long for the good old days, whatever that is. 
In other words, the loss of privilege can make you and I sad that we're living in this present period of time. It can really bum us out. It's not the way it used to be. Here is what Peter says to us. I want you to really lean in because this is about to get really encouraging, okay? Look at the text, verses 10 through 12. Peter says, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully. Inquiring. What do they inquire about? What do they want to know? What person or time? The spirit of Christ in them. That's an interesting phrase. I don't think you see anywhere else in the Bible. You see Holy Spirit. This is spirit of Christ in them. Prophets had the spirit of Christ in them, was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them, the prophets, that they were serving not themselves, but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit from heaven, get this, things into which Angels long to look. Peter is saying this to the church. Listen, you guys are living in the fulfillment of everything the prophets spoke about. Do you know that? You guys, get this, you guys are in a better place in time than the Old Testament prophets. And you are in a better place than even the angels who are watching all this take place with absolute fascination. It's amazing to them what God is doing for his people to them. But listen, the prophets didn't know exactly who or how or when or what order all this stuff was going to happen. They didn't know who, what, when, or how. God was going to enact his plan of salvation for his elect. Guess what? We do. We do know that. We know way more than they ever knew. They didn't get experience the salvation that they prophesied about. We do. We have experienced far more of salvation than they ever did. Peter's saying, look, you wish you were living in the good old days? You wish you were living in the days of the Old Testament prophets? No, no, you got that wrong. The prophets wish they were living in your day, church. Praise God, somebody. Isn't that great news? You and I, listen, we're living in a great day. It's an exciting time to be alive. It's a great day to be a Christian. This is the day of salvation. This is the day of salvation fulfillment that we are living in, family. It is a privilege. You see where we're going with this? It is a privilege to see and hear and taste and experience all that we do right now. It is a privilege. It doesn't matter what loss of privilege we have in society. Peter says we are in a privileged place. Even though, yes, there is some earthly loss that goes along with it, yes, there are some earthly trials that do go along with this, Peter says it is a great time to be alive and to be a believer. Now, we often hear American Christians, and this is unique to American Christians, are complaining about living in a, quote, post-Christian society. 
kind of bemoan that. But I really like the way that Russell Moore, Russell Moore is a president of the uh, ERLC, Ethics and Religious Liberty Committee. I really love how Russell Moore uh, articulates and explains our perceived loss in light of our current situation, in light of our present hope. It's almost like he's kind of pulling from 1 Peter here. Moore says, quote, The idea of America as post-Christian then calls the church to some sort of freaked-out nostalgia, which makes us all the more frantic when we see the moral chaos around us. We see it in terms of moral decline instead of seeing it the way the Bible does in terms not of decline but of fall. We are not time travelers from the past. We are pilgrims from the future. We are not time travelers from the past. We are pilgrims from the future. We have not come to reclaim something that was lost. We have come to proclaim someone who has found us. If we take the opportunity to be the church, we may find that America is not post-Christian, but is instead maybe pre-Christian. Close quote. Our sufferings, being a Christian, being born again, it transforms our trials, does it not? You see, for the Christians in Rome and for us today, our living hope in the coming of God's kingdom to this earth totally redefines the day that we are living in. That sets the standard. That defines the day that we are living in. We live in a day that is longed for by both prophet and angel. Are you kidding me? We live in the day of fulfillment, and it is a great day to be a Christian. Guys, we have a hope that outshines our heartache. I'm going to say one more thing and, and then land the plane, okay? You may be wondering, that sounds great. That looks shiny. Uh, you know, I'd love to believe that. Sounds like good news. It is. But how can we be sure that this hope is real? I'm no sap. I'm no sucker. How can I be sure that this hope is real, like really real. Peter, 1 Peter verse 3, we read it, we kind of skimmed over, we're going to come back to it. According to his great mercy, this is verse 3, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope, here it is, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Resurrection is by definition from the dead, but he's almost like, I really want to emphasize this, like he died in his body and came back to life. How can we be sure that this is a living hope and not a dead end? How can you and I be sure? I mean, I want to believe that, but how can we believe that this is a living hope and not a dead hope? It's not pie-in-the-sky promises just to distract simple-minded people from the pain they're experiencing. How can we be sure that this is not, as Karl Marx famously said, the opiate of the masses to numb out the pain we're having? How can you and I be sure about that? We should be able to answer that question. We need to answer that question if we're going to live in this living hope. And here's the answer that Peter gives. Because this hope is based on the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. 
It is not based on a dead language. It is not based on a dead philosophy. It is not based on the teachings of a dead man. We can be sure that we have a living hope because it is based on a living God who came in the flesh. Jesus Christ has really risen from the dead in a real body. In space, time, and history, you can check it out. That's how we know. And this is our guarantee that this promise is certain, that this hope is real. It's a living, active hope that plays out in our life. Amen? Family, let's rejoice in this hope. Let's rejoice in this hope. I love you guys. Let's pray, okay? Heavenly Father, we love you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for Jesus Christ who speaks a better word than the newspapers do. And even our friends and family. Thank you that we have an unassailable inheritance no matter what our family does. Thank you that Our trials now have meaning, and they're not meaningless and random. Thank you that we live in a day of fulfillment, not of loss. It's a privilege to be alive today. Jesus, I pray that you would take your word, and you would let it just soak into every heart that's in this room kind of like fertilizer soaks into soil when it gets rained on. I just pray that, Holy Spirit, you just rain on this word. You let it soak, let it soak, let it soak into us. Let, us. let it encourage us where we need it and challenge us where we need it. Lord, change us. Change our vision. Change our thinking. Change how we're talking to one another and to others. Let us be a city on a hill that gives light to the world. We love you. Thank you for all that you're doing in our life. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.